APTA is providing regular updates and guidance on COVID-19. On May 7th, we recorded a video dialogue with APTA staff, Kara Gaynor, Alice Bell, Steve Postal, and Kate Gillard, where they discuss what's happening in Medicare in relation to telehealth and what APTA is doing to continue to advocate on behalf of the profession. Here's that discussion. Where we will be taking questions on all things telehealth. I'm Kara Gaynor, APTA's Director of Regulatory Affairs, and I'm joined today by my colleagues who I will ask to introduce themselves. Alice, do you wanna go first? Sure, thanks, Kara. My name is Alice Bell. I'm a physical therapist and senior payment specialist in the Payment and Practice Management Department of APTA. Kate? Uh, Hi, my name is Kate Gillard. I am a senior regulatory affairs specialist in the regulatory affairs department. And Steve? Hi, guys. My name is Steve Postal. I'm a senior specialist of regulatory affairs at APTA. So we're here to take your questions. So please feel free to type your questions into the chat box and we will start answering them. Um, And as we await questions to come in, I will ask Alice, Steve, and Kate, some some of our more common questions. So Kate, um, I'll start with you first. Uh, a common question is, can a PT or PTA bill telehealth under Medicaid? Um, yeah, that is a question that we're getting a lot um, through member inquiries, um, which by the way, you can always send to us at advocacy at APTA.org. Um, but a lot of folks will say, you know, I'm in Michigan, can I bill Medicaid, et cetera? And it, it really does depend on your state. So you need to do a number of things to determine whether or not you can build telehealth and Medicaid. First, make sure it's um, allowed under your state practice act. Two, make sure that it's reimbursable under Medicaid in your state. Um, A lot of states have issued emergency orders allowing for telehealth just during the pandemic. Um, Other states already had telehealth. So you just need to do a little bit of research to figure out if it's covered or not. Um, And then also keep in mind that if you're dealing with the Medicaid managed care organization, which is private insurance companies that manage Medicare in some states, you need to check individually with their policies to make sure um, you're billing it correctly, if you can bill it at all. And then um, smaller level details like can a PTA participate? What are the supervision requirements, et cetera? So the answer on Medicaid is that there's not a one size fits all question or answer to that question. There's no CMS authority saying telehealth is covered in all 50 states in Medicaid. It's something that you really need to look at individually um, in your state. And like I said, if you need help figuring that out, send us an email at advocacy at APTA.org. Thanks, Kate. Uh, Steve, I'll give you this next question that's come in uh, from one of our listeners. What platforms are we able to use for telehealth? Sure. So most common is the live audio video connection, and that's the, um, the synchronous connection, which Medicare is, is now reimbursing for, for PTs in private practice specifically. Um, but you're also seeing a remote uh, patient monitoring technology, as well as um, e-visits, which are not technically considered telehealth, but they are patient-initiated uh, telecommunications that can be up to a seven-day period of time. Um, also seeing a, a store and forward technology, which is um, not asynchronous. You'll have information that's given and then forwarded on at a later at a later time, so not not contemporaneous. Um, 
Coverage, again, depends on the payer. And we, we uh, recommend that you guys can consult with your payer uh, and finding out specific policies as to, as to coverage. Thanks, Steve. So this next question I'll answer in regards to uh, CMS gave, I, I'd say, some kind of clarification the other day on their office hours call in relation to whether rehab agencies and other institutional settings like skilled nursing facilities are able to bill Medicare for telehealth services. And in relation to rehab agencies specifically, CMS said that they were considering it and that they would put out, I think they were implying they'd put out more guidance soon. Um, but in the interim, we would say that the answer is no, they do not recognize rehab agencies as eligible to furnish and bill for telehealth. And that same answer would go for bill nursing facilities. That said, uh, we have in connection, in collaboration with other stakeholders, um, including the other therapy groups, we have already submitted a meeting request to CMS to discuss this issue with them further. Um, so please stay tuned for additional information um, because this is obviously, obviously very important um, that Medicare beneficiaries receiving care in those settings also are eligible to receive telehealth from their therapy professionals. So we are working on it and hopefully we will have more information to share very soon. Um, also, I saw a question related to the hospital outpatient departments and registering patients' homes as part of the hospital. Uh, we did publish an article yesterday on May 6th that outlines how to add a patient's home as a temporary expansion location of the hospital. And essentially the hospital must notify its CMS regional office by email of the addresses that it plans to add as temporary expansion locations. And the article that we published yesterday lists the information that needs to be included in the email to the CMS regional office. And that includes the address of the current hospital outpatient department, their CMS certification number, the addresses of the patient's homes, the date on which services began at the relocated um, outpatient department, essentially the patient's home, um, and justification for the relocation and the role it plays in the hospital's response to the public health emergency and an attestation by the hospital that the relocation is consistent with the relevant state's emergency preparedness or pandemic plan. So this really needs to be initiated by the hospital um, and they should have this information, but if not, please feel free to share the article that we published yesterday, which we actually quoted from the CMS interim final rule and we link to that in our article as well. Kate, do you wanna ask the next question? Yeah, um, so this is another one that has to do with some of the information we learned on that recent CMS call, but Kara, do you think you could give us um, an overview of, of how CMS clarified supervision requirements for PTAs in furnishing telehealth? Sure, so CMS did clarify on the office hours call the other day that uh, the relaxation of direct supervision requirements um, would be extended to uh, those services that are billed under the Medicare physician fee schedule. So in the instance of private practices, they did say on the phone or on this during this office hours call that a PT could conduct direct supervision uh, through real-time audiovisual technology. And essentially they would need to be readily available um, in the instance of if the, if the assistant needed to get a hold of them. And so actually there was an FAQ 
that CMS published and um, kind of giving more information related to this topic, which is why CMS was referring to it. And so uh, we, although we said in the article that we published yesterday that we were seeking more guidance, um, now that we've found this FAQ from CMS that in writing essentially says they are allowing this direct supervision flexibility to include um, PTs and PTAs, it's implied, uh, then we would say that as long as it's in accordance with your state law supervision requirements, if permitted, under Medicare, a PT and PTA could satisfy the direct supervision requirement by using real-time audio-visual technology. And that means essentially an iPhone or other some other form of phone that has both audio and visual or video technologies. Thanks, Sarah. That was um, comprehensive. I think you had a lot of questions uh, in the chat. Wait, so let so, me, um, go ahead, Steve. Oh, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, I just saw it in the, in the chat. There's a question that I like to answer. So someone asked, uh, sorry if I missed the answer, but it, is it acceptable to use FaceTime for telehealth visits? They kind of alluded to before um, uh, the HHS, the Office of Civil Rights, issued a clarification in the wake of COVID they're relaxing certain HIPAA requirements. So common technologies like, like FaceTime um, that you do not have to be have HIPAA compliance, but we are still uh, advocating to our member that even in good faith that your um, software and that your applications are HIPAA compliant. We have a link online on our website as well as, well as HPA the Catalyst has and on their website as well, um, a bunch of our members compiled a list of vendors and providing with information about all the vendors. Uh, while we do not recommend specific uh, applications and vendors, I think it's a very good resource uh, for you guys to take a look at. So again, um, there is that, that leeway for uh, HIPAA compliance, but we're still advocating that best practices is that you want to maintain HIPAA compliance and that have a business associate agreement uh, with your vendors specifically. And then I'll just also clarify, uh, building on the direct supervision flexibility uh, that can be accomplished through uh, real-time audiovisual technology, that would be applicable to both services furnished by the PTA in person as well as via telehealth. So essentially, CMS has revised the definition of direct supervision during the public health emergency um, to include a virtual presence through the use of interactive telecommunications technology for services paid under the physician fee schedule. So it's for services both in person as well as any telehealth services. But the PT would need to be uh, readily available through that technology. And of course, if state law is more stringent, then you would need to comply with state law. All right. Um, how about Alice? Um, can you give us a, a little bit more information about outpatients and SNF? Sure. So uh, some skilled nursing facilities do provide services to um, outpatients. If the services are billed under the skilled nursing uh, facility provider number, then you would not be able to see those patients via telehealth. And just building off of the question about the hospital outpatient department and whether for those hospitals that may be adding the patient's homes, if the addresses need to be sent all at once or do they need to be individually submitted or 
anything in between. And we have submitted that question to CMS. There is also a CMS office hours call today at 5 p.m. where where I will be asking for clarification related to whether the hospital has to submit the request for each individual patient or if it could be more general in nature. So uh, hopefully we will have more clarifying information um, after today's call. But if not, uh, your hospital can always follow up with the CMS regional office to ask for clarification. Okay, so I think this is a good question for Steve. Um, If my state does not include telehealth language in in the scope, does Medicare lifting restrictions for telehealth um, allow them to bill for telehealth? Yes, so again, there there are two questions that you wanna ask yourself. One is if it's within the PT scope of practice, and the second is if uh, you can bill for it. So the first question first needs to be asked, and that's a state-by-state analysis, and you look at the state practice acts. So if the practice act says that you that it is within the PT scope of practice, then then yes, within private private pay, payment and Medicare, yes, you can bill under telehealth. But if this if the state's practice act is silent on the use of telehealth, we advocate that the best practice would be to you can that you consult your licensing board as well as your state chapters to find out clarification as to what the state's stances is on telehealth and if it can be um, within the PT scope of practice. And the same goes for if it if it's not, if, if, if it's um, specifically like that you cannot, PTs cannot practice under the state, we advocate that um, you lobby through your state uh, chapters um, to try to correct that and to have it so that you can you can practice um, it, that the that the telemedicine is within the PT scope of practice. Great. Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and send a question over to Alice. Um, what do we use for the place of service code if both the patient and the PT are in their homes? What if the client is going into the outpatient clinic and the PT is treating via telehealth from home? What do we use for the place of service code? Thanks, Kate. Uh, so Medicare has instructed that we should use the place of service code for the location where the services would have been de- delivered had it not been for this public health emergency. So if normally you would have seen the patient in the clinic, um, then you would use place of service code 11. If you normally are providing Part B services in the home, then you would use place of service 12. So wherever that patient would have been seen um, if if the public health emergency and these waivers were not in place. And uh, just to chime in real quick, uh, there was a question about how many states allowing telehealth. So we've been finding that Uh, about 25 states have either in their state practice act or other regulation uh, that uh, telehealth is within physical therapist scope of practice. However, we found another couple of states, about three, that have this open language. So for example, in regulation, it will say that telehealth is allowed um, with all licensed providers, but it's not specifically clear if PTs are defined within that or not. So we're keeping that as as an open question for now. 
So, Kara, um, can you speak to APTA's efforts to pursue Medicare coverage of telehealth services under all Part A providers, not just the hospital outpatient providers? Sure. So we actually have been advocating for the expansion of telehealth coverage for all uh, Part A and Part B providers. Uh, with the enactment of the CARES Act on March 27th, we felt that that gave CMS the authority to expand uh, providers eligible to furnish and build telehealth to include both private practitioners as well as institutional providers under Medicare Part B. Um, and so we uh, as I said earlier, we have uh, already submitted a meeting request to discuss with CMS uh, what, if any, barriers continue to exist um, or if it's a claims processing issue or, or what it may be. Um, and so we are continuing to, uh, well, so we've submitted that meeting request uh, along with the other stakeholder associations, as I mentioned, and we do hope to have a meeting with CMS uh, next week on that topic. Now, in relation to Part A, uh, coverage, that is more of a statutory question that does still require uh, Congress to enact legislation uh, modifying the law to allow telehealth under Part A in both skilled nursing facilities and home health agencies. And so we are looking at uh, what legislation may need to be introduced in the near future and coordinating with the other associations representing those um, settings, including home health and skilled nursing facility, uh, to see where we may be able to initiate and uh, introduce legislation that would permanently allow for coverage of telehealth in these settings. So um, continuing to work on those efforts, um, please continue to contact your members of Congress if that is of importance to you. Um, but you know we are making very good progress um, you know, it, progress comes incrementally, and um, hopefully we will have some additional information to share on the Part B side for institutional providers, uh, recognizing that Part A is more of a longer-term um, push, uh, as is telehealth for permanently uh, under Medicare for all providers. Uh, that's why we've been pushing the Connect for Health Act in Congress and have been trying to attach it to a COVID package. Um, because remember, the temporary expansion of telehealth under Medicare is only temporary. And so uh, we have been trying to push for a permanent solution for all providers. So please stay tuned. Thanks, Kara. Um, and I just want to remind everybody that if you have um, additional questions that don't get answered or if you have like a really specific question, you can always email us at advocacy at abta.org. Um, we're responding to every email we get and we will do our best to get you an answer. Um, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and lob a question over to Alice. Um, we have a question. If a state is allowing reciprocity from a PT in good standing from another state, can that PT provide telehealth for a resident who has Medicare coverage? So that question has layers of complexity. Mm -hmm. um, so a couple of things, um, uh, and when you say reciprocity, I'm not sure if you're talking about a compact licensure or if you're talking about a therapist who's gotten licensed in another state. Um, either way though, the, the issues that need to be considered are, is telehealth allowed in the state where the patient resides? Um, that is critical first. Um, and Steve, add to this if I miss anything. So is the therapist licensed to provide services in the state where the patient is, either through compact or through having gotten licensure in that state? Does the state that the patient is in allow telehealth? 
and it, it, telehealth specifically provided by a physical therapist. And if those conditions are met, then yes, you could provide services to a Medicare patient. And also there are some states that are waiving uh, licensure requirements. So there's certain states that will allow PTs from out of state to be able to practice telemed. So that's in addition to the, the Compact Act. This is for, for COVID-19 specific uh, provision. So just to keep that in mind as well. Yep. yep. Thanks, Steve. And to build off of that, for example, I know that New Jersey is providing uh, accelerated temporary licenses for out-of-state providers. And so you'll want to check with each state licensing board to see if that may be an option as well. So it looks like we're getting a lot of questions about modifiers. Um, Kara, can you give us a, uh, some updates on the modifiers uh, people need to use for billing telehealth under Part B? Sure, so for private practitioners under Medicare Part B uh, who are billing telehealth, the modifiers are 95 and the GP modifier. And then the place of service code would be the place of service code that you would have used if if the service had been furnished in person. So pretty simple with Medicare, but uh, I know commercial payers might have different policies. Alice, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the differences with commercial. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so a couple of things. On place of service, the commercial payers are split about 50-50 on whether they're using place of service O2, which indicates the services were provided by a telehealth or whether they're using where the services would have been provided in person. So you do wanna check your payer policies. APTA is keeping a table of all of the commercial payer policies as we um, are made aware of updates. Uh, that can be found on the telehealth page um, and we update that weekly. Uh, and where we have the guidance, we've included what place of service to use. In terms of the other modifiers, most of the commercial payers are indicating to use either GT or 95. In the event that you're given the option, APTA recommends using GT just because our codes are not on the list of the appendix P codes in the CPT manual that are indicated for the use of modifier 95. Now, Medicare has said use 95 anyway, so their systems will process that, but some of the commercial payers um, their systems might deny a, a code that has 95. So if they give you a choice of 95 or GT, I'd recommend using GT. Great, thanks, Alice. Um, what do we have next? Um, I, I see we have one about, can we perform an eval in person and follow up through telehealth and bill accordingly? Um, and again, if we're talking just about Medicare, yes, you can do the eval via telehealth or you can do the eval in person and you can make a determination to do continued care either in person or via telehealth. You just want to document why you're making the decision to do one or the other, um, in particular, why you're making a decision to provide the care via telehealth. But uh, you can perform the eval either way, and you can perform subsequent care either way. Um, as In terms of commercial payers, you wanna look at the list of codes that they've approved. Some of them have included the evaluation codes, most of them have, um, but others you would have to do the eval actually face-to-face, -face, and then you could build procedural codes um, via telehealth. Alice, can you do more than one telehealth session per week? 
Yes. So um, basically the expectation is that you would be consistent with the plan of care that's been established for the patient or whatever plan of care you would establish. Uh, so yes, you can. Um, you also have flexibility though, if based on, you know, the patient's needs or their abilities or their capacity. Some patients may need to have a caregiver with them when you're seeing them via telehealth. And so you may have to deviate from the um, the prescribed frequency uh, that you had put in the plan of care. So you should see the patient consistent with that, what their clinical needs are, um, just as you would if you were seeing them in person. But there's some flexibility given the the uh, the conditions under which you're you're treating. Thanks, Alice. Um, just as a reminder, we have uh, APTA has put out a lot of resources. If you go to APTA.org backslash telehealth, um, we have uh, a lot of the information we're giving out today is already in writing um, in various forms of guidance. So always feel free to check APTA.org backslash telehealth for information on this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and send a question over to Steve now. Um, will emergency declarations in states that recognize um, PT to practice telehealth, will those remain in place after COVID or what's the status on those? Yep, thanks Kate. So it depends on the state and we have on our uh, telehealth webpage that, that Kate just mentioned, a PDF of the state emergency orders and we're updating this on a weekly basis. Um, some have specifically stated the, the point in time where the emergency is going to be lifted and some say that it's going to be for the length of the of the COVID-19 pandemic. So the general rule we're assuming is that it's going to be for the length of the COVID-19 pandemic unless otherwise stated. So it's important to check with uh, your states as far as the specifics for each of those emergency orders. And, and we've provided you with the, with the links to those on our website. Uh, thanks, Steve. Uh, let's go back to Medicare real quick. Kara, uh, can you comment on if the justification for hospital-based PT has to be um, for creating room for COVID patients, or can it be just to mitigate risk in general? Yeah, so CMS says in the interim final rule that if, CMS, if the hospital is expanding its uh, provider-based departments to other locations, then there would need to be some sort of justification for the relocation and the role it plays in the hospital's response to the public health emergency. Now, CMS says in its uh, coronavirus waivers uh, fact sheet for hospitals that um, they are giving flexibilities to hospitals to expand their locations um, because hospitals have shared concerns with them about capacity for treating patients during the COVID-19 public health emergency, especially those requiring ventilator and intensive care services. And so CMS is providing these flexibilities for hospitals to create surge capacity by allowing them to provide room and board, nursing, and other hospital services at remote locations or sites not normally considered part of the healthcare facility. And so they also go on to state that this flexibility will allow hospitals to separate COVID-19 positive patients from other non-COVID-19 patients to help efforts around infection control and preservation of PPE. So, you know, it, it really is up to uh, the hospital to make that determination as to whether um, you know, what what the justification would be. And if 
you know, it would be justified to add a patient's home um, and would you be able to support it that um, by adding a patient's home, it is helping the hospital respond to the public health emergency and is in line with the purpose behind these flexibilities that CMS is providing uh, to hospitals. Awesome. Thanks, Kara. Um, Alice, can you tell us if the plan of care has to be listed or no, if telehealth has to be listed in the plan of care? So it's not required to be listed in the plan of care. Um, basically, this is a modification to in-person visits given the public health emergency. You should, however, um, in addition to indicating by use of a modifier that you're providing the services under telehealth, you should document um, and you also need, you you want to make sure you in, have an, in, you've informed the patient, you have their consent to provide services via telehealth You've documented that um, and that you document the technology you're using to provide the service. That would be best practice. Excellent. Thanks, Alice. Um, now, I, let's go back to a question that is a little bit more general in nature. Kara, can you provide some clarification on the difference between, and we're talking about Medicare, telehealth and what we used to be able to do and can still do, but the e-visits and how that's different? Sure. So I think uh, first I'll note that an e-visit is not telehealth. An e-visit is a patient-initiated online assessment and management service that is furnished using an online patient portal, and it's not done in real time, whereas Medicare telehealth entails real-time two-way interaction between the provider and patient or caregiver using audio and visual uh, communications technology. So with an e-visit, the PT and the patient would exchange communications and information via messaging through the portal. And a portal is defined by HHS as a secure online website that gives patients convenient 24 access to personal health information from anywhere with an internet connection. And a patient portal typically would require a secure username and password to allow patients to securely message their provider. If an e-visit was provided, documented, and billed correctly, um, you know, the question has come up, could I potentially rebill an e-visit as telehealth? But if an e-visit had been provided and documented, billed correctly, there would be nothing documented under the e-visit that would support the billing of a PT procedural code via telehealth. Um, and so we wouldn't advise rebilling any e-visits that were initiated um, as telehealth because they obviously are very significantly different services. Alice, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add to that. Thanks, Kara, but you covered it perfectly. <laughs> um, the um, There's a question up about consolidated billing and if a hospital-based PT did telehealth with a patient who's a home health patient. Um, CMS did provide clear guidance that a patient who's under home health services cannot be receiving services from hospital outpatient care. So even if um, we the hospital pursued the ability to build the patient's home as a alternative site. If the patient's under a home health plan of care, then you would not be billing uh, PT out of a hospital outpatient department. 
Carrot, is that anything you want to add to that? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, Kara, how about I ask you this then? Is there a place on the APTA website that you can list yourself as a telehealth provider? So if I, I think that you are able to, if you go to the find a PT directory and add yourself to that directory, I think you're able to indicate that you provide telehealth. And so we would recommend that if you do provide telehealth, to add your name to the directory so that patients are able to find you. I know I've certainly used Find a PT to um, when when friends and family are looking for PTs in their area, and so that directory is a great resource. Um, and if telehealth is something you provide, definitely add it to your profile. Um, Alice, uh, what solutions are you aware of? when translation services are required during a telehealth visit? So we do have a couple of payers on the commercial side that have um, included in their policies access to translation services when they're required. Um, I'm not sure under Medicare, so I'm, I'll turn that uh, back to Kara, but under the commercial payers, again, if you go to that, um, the, the resource on the telehealth page, at APTA.org, so it's APTA.org slash telehealth. Uh, we have listed wherever a commercial payer references access to translation services. And if they don't, then I would contact the payer uh, or ask um, if the patient has a caregiver or a family member who can uh, advocate for them, contact the payer to find out what's available for translation services. Yeah, and that's a really good question. Um, I will look into what kind of requirements um, are associated with telehealth and um, any sort of translation requirements. Kate, I don't know if you know off the top of your head in relation to Medicare. Yeah, I haven't seen any guidance on this. Um, you know, the translation services are generally required, so you would think that they would be um, required in telehealth, but I I'm not confident um, in saying that those still stand. I would suggest you send an email to advocacy at APDA.org um, and give us like a little bit more detail and then we can do some research and hopefully provide you with an answer. Um, but I think that a lot of these platforms, um, especially like the bigger companies that are offering these um, services and platforms have some sort of functionality as far as um, translation is, is concerned. Um, so let's go ahead and go back to e-visits. Um, Kara, can you give us some clarification on the modifiers in e-visits? Sure. So with Medicare and e-visits, this has been a very frustrating topic, to say the least. Um, with confidence, I can say that based on the guidance that CMS has provided since they first made this announcement that PTs could furnish and bill e-visits on March 17th, um, the CR modifier would be required. And based on the interim final rule that they released on March 30th, uh, the GP modifier would also be required uh, because CMS said that they would be classifying e-visits as sometimes therapy services. The problem is that the MACs have not interpreted CMS guidance uh, in a consistent manner. And so depending on the MAC, um, they are either paying claims when only the CR modifier is appended 
You may have one or two Macs out there who are paying when the GP and CR modifier are appended. You have at least one Mac who's not paying for e-visits at all if it's furnished by a PT. And then I think there may be one or two Macs that are paying when the 95 modifier is appended, which absolutely is not correct because an e-visit is not telehealth. So uh, long story short, uh, we have brought this up, as have other PTs. We've raised this on national CMS office hours calls. We've emailed CMS on a weekly basis asking them to address this inconsistency and issue guidance to the max. Um, I know that other PTs have reached out to their CMS regional office to bring this to their attention and ask for clear and consistent guidance be issued to the max. So at this point in time, I would say if you are billing e-visits to please check with your MAC as to what modifiers they would want appended when billing e-visits. Um, but I can say that it's likely not consistent with CMS guidance and the guidance that ABTA has been providing, which is very unfortunate. Um, but I think that CMS has apologized for the inconsistency, um, but that they, they've they said that they would be issuing guidance to the max, but to date, I don't know that they actually have. Yeah, I think um, we've, been, we've been hearing a lot of frustration with the max because, I mean, keep in mind, everybody's kind of flying by the seat of their pants. They're interpreting the guidance at the same time we're interpreting the guidance. Um, and unfortunately, they don't always interpret the guidance the same way, which makes it hard for APTA to give you guys advice on what you should be doing. So when in doubt, um, it never hurts to pick up the phone and call the MAC and find out exactly what they're looking for so that you don't have um, any unnecessary issues. Um, so let me send a question over to Alice. And this is one that we get a lot. Um, can telehealth be provided via telephone as a mode of service or must it be combined visual and audio to be considered telehealth? So Medicare has indicated that when PTs are performing services via telehealth, it has to be real-time audiovisual with the exception of one single code um, that they've included on their list that could be audio only, and that's 97535. We don't understand the logic behind putting that code on the audio only list, but it is there. Um, so the technology needs to be audio visual real time. If you are doing something like telephone assessment and management, there are specific codes to build telephone assessment and management. It's not our 97,000 series codes. So um, if you're doing that type of service, you should build those codes. Um, but uh, yes, it needs to be audio visual. Now, for the, on the commercial side, there's variability. So there are some commercial payers who have said that services can be provided audio only if that's all the resource that the patient has available to them. So again, I would refer you to our list of policies um, in the commercial space for you to look and see whether audio only is an option. Great, thanks, Alice. Or Kara, do you have anything to add about telephone services for Medicare? Yeah, you know, I'll just add again. So if you look at our apta.org slash telehealth page, and if you look at um, one of our recommended resources, different telehealth modalities and PTs and PTAs eligibility to use them, we talk about Medicare and we talk about uh, the, the form of telehealth that Medicare now covers that you know, 
would entail real-time two-way interaction between the provider and patient. And I think so it's just important to, with Medicare, it's important to remember that they require the technology to have both audio and visual capabilities. Um, And there has been a, a lot of advocacy around the topic of Medicare beneficiaries not having technology that has both capabilities. It really just having audio capabilities like a flip phone. So um, for the example of 97535, if that's all the beneficiary had, then you could bill that code um, because it's an audio only technology eligible code. Um, But for all of the other CPT codes being billed that are covered under Medicare when furnished via telehealth, the technology being used would need to have both audio and visual capabilities. Great, thanks Kara. Um, let's give Steve a question now. Um, can you talk about some of the ethical guidelines that you should be using when practicing telehealth? Sure. So while, um, there is no specific set guidelines for ethical practice of telehealth, we recommend that you consult with both the the PT and the PTA's, um, uh, ethical guidelines and that make sure the PT, do you know, the PTs and PTAs should be should, by, should abide by those guidelines at all times. Um, so that should be your your north star as far as looking at um, ethical guidelines for telehealth. Kate, I'm going to ask you a question if you don't mind. Sure. This is another common question we get. Um, can you talk a little bit about? physical therapy delivered as part of a child's IEP at school and whether a physical therapist is allowed to deliver those services remotely? Yeah, we get this a lot, um, especially as far as member inquiries are concerned. So a lot of PTs are either hired by a school district or they work for a company that's contracted with the school district to provide PT to students in school as part of their special education, part of their IEP Um, And now that schools are closed, we're seeing a lot of PTs very unsure as to whether or not they can practice telehealth um, for these students as part of their as a part of their IEP. So it's a very um, it's even more of a specific question than Medicaid, where you have to look at each state. In this one, you have to look even down to the school district level. Um, So you would kind of work your way from the top down. One, is telehealth allowed in this state by the Practice Act? Two, um, you might want to look at Medicaid because a lot of times IEP services are funded by Medicaid. Um, Again, it's going to depend on your state and your specific school district. Then you want to look at guidance from the school district as to whether um, these services should be continuing if they are allowed to be billed via telehealth. And then finally, you want to make a clinical decision as to whether or not Um, the child is um, capable of receiving services via telehealth, if it's clinically appropriate to deliver these services or not. So it is a multi-level decision you have to make. And I am more than happy to help folks do the research on that. If you are a school-based PT, um, send an email to advocacy at apta.org and we'll help figure out what you should be doing. Also, the Pediatrics Academy has a lot of amazing resources. If you're a school-based PT, you should be in the academy and you should be a member of the special interest group on school-based PT because they are um, really doing everything they can to support their members. Um, but yeah, it's really a district specific question for school-based PT. 
And, and Kay, just want to chime in previously on the, the ethics question. Also make sure that you're looking at what your states are saying as far as what is required from informed consent, as well as, you know, state practice acts and what the pairs are saying. Sometimes informed consent is a one-time informed consent. Just check the box initially. Sometimes it's required for every visit, a continual consent. Um, if your state has additional uh guardrails around uh, pediatric uh, telehealth and what those are. Again, it's good to check those as well. I know we've gotten a question about PTAs and doing telehealth under Medicare. And so I just wanted to clarify that we did receive clarification from CMS during its office hours call on Tuesday, May 5th, that uh, PTAs in private practice are permitted to furnish telehealth services that would be billed by the supervising physical therapist. So uh, physical therapists and PTAs in private practice are both eligible to furnish telehealth, but remember it has to be within both the PT and PTA scope of practice if they're furnishing telehealth. Great, um, let me ask Alice a question. Can you do uh, like a mix of in-person visits and telehealth? So the answer would be yes, but I would just pose back to you the giving um, clarification as to why you're doing that. So keeping in mind that Medicare has approved the uh, these waivers um, and added therapists as eligible providers based on the CARES Act, which is related to COVID-19. And so I, I do think it's important to think about if you're going to do a blend of visits, um, justifying the reason for um, the patient's ability to be seen in person at one visit and not be seen in person at the other. Uh, I, I don't think um, I don't think it's you. It's an issue of not being able to do that. I just think you need to think about why uh, at one point they can be seen in person and at another point they can't. And that you're you're documenting that, and and there could be legitimate reasons for that blended session. But I do think we have to keep in mind that for now, at least, these waivers are based on COVID. So just making sure that you justify your clinical decision making. Yeah, you know, just to, to add real quick, private insurers might caveat that additionally, like they might have requirements that the first initial visit needs to be in person. So again if it's private payer to check with them as well. Yeah, all of those are great points. And I just uh, wanted to add that kind of when in doubt, document, 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 um, because we're in a crazy time and rules are being waived. And a lot of times we're kind of in a gray area where we're not exactly sure what's going on. But when in doubt, make a good faith effort to comply with things like HIPAA and consent and things like that and document exactly what you did and why you did it. Cause that's going to be evidence that you were acting in good faith and you were trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, so let me ask this question real quick. Someone says that they tried to call Neridian and ask about setting up a temporary expansion location and how to do that. Um, and I guess Neridian said it wasn't necessary. Uh, Kara, do you have thoughts on that? Sure. So, uh, if a hospital is interested in expanding its temporary, um, its private provider-based departments, it should be calling its CMS regional office, not the MAX like Meridian. Uh, there are 10 CMS regional offices around the country, um, and the regional offices of CMS are the agency's state and local presence. 
and they work very closely with the CMS contractors as well as CMS headquarters and healthcare providers. So it is the actual CMS regional office that you should be emailing um, and or calling if you have any questions about uh, this topic. So it looks like we've got a question about, you know, telehealth and, and whether or not it can be furnished um, to new patients or if it's only for existing patients. Um, Kara or Alice or, or Steve, do, do either of you have uh, thoughts on that one? I can start. So with Medicare, um, right now, they've, they've given the flexibility that uh, for PTs, you can use telehealth with new and established patients. I believe typically pre-COVID, aka outside this bubble of time, it's only for established patients. Um, but you would also have to check state law um, because your state practice act and or any other state laws may have uh, prohibitions related to it. And then, of course, commercial payers might have their own policies. Right. Yeah, I would think that, yeah, the commercial pairs, they're also adjusting and responding to the COVID-19 crisis in real time. So it, it definitely is important uh, to check with them. Um, I think they can go either way. Sometimes we'll, they'll have a, a restriction that'll say only existing patients, whereas others are more flexible. Yeah, and, and I'm, uh, I just want to thank the two of you for those points. I think it is important to remember that Whatever we do, whenever we're practicing, we're beholden to a few different um, uh, kind of guidelines. And so we have to look at our state practice acts. We have to look at our scope of practice and we have to look at um, regulations and payer policy. So every, you know, even though the, as I said before, the evaluation code may be included on the list of codes that can be billed. If your practice act says you can only provide telehealth to an established patient, then that's a barrier to that. So you just want to make sure that you're checking all of those points of reference um, to make to ensure that you're in compliance at every level. Great. Thanks, Alice. Um, so we've only got 10 minutes left. So just a reminder, everybody, any any questions we can't get to today, advocacy at APTA.org and we will respond to your questions via that channel if we can't get to it today. So let me throw it back to Alice. Um, does Medicare recommend or subject any objective measures that can be conducted over telehealth? So uh, they don't. Um, they have not you know, said to us in, in, the, in this situation of using telehealth, this is what we want you to collect. Um, what I would say, however, though, um, is it is really important that we continue to collect objective measures. So if the measure that you would normally have used with your patient or the one that you used at baseline is something that you cannot capture um, via telehealth, then I would encourage you to look for a like measure um, as close as you can get uh, so that you have some consistency of measurement. Um, also, patient reported outcome measures are, you know, they work in this situation as well as in face-to-face -face situations. I think most of us are using some sort of patient reported outcome measure. So, um, so use what you can, but please don't abandon objective measurement and standardized tests uh, simply because you've moved to um, the provision of services via telehealth. Great. Thanks, Alice. Um, let me 
pose a question to Kara about rehab agencies. So that looks like they bill Medicare Part A, but utilize patients Part B benefits. Can the rehab agency be reimbursed for telehealth? Yeah, so uh, as I talked about earlier, rehab agency is considered an institutional setting that bills on the UBO4 claim form, and um, it is subject to the Medicare conditions of participation. Uh, when we asked CMS on its office hours call on May 5th, uh, CMS said that they would consider and, and take the question back uh, and consider it as to whether they would allow rehab agencies to furnish and bill for telehealth services. And I think that same logic goes for skilled nursing facilities and home health agencies. So as of right now, I would say that CMS has not uh, granted flexibility for telehealth furnish uh, services and, and billing uh, to rehab agencies, skilled nursing facilities, and home health agencies, but that we're hopeful that they are considering it and that they will uh, be granting additional flexibilities to those settings in the very near future. Great. Thanks, Alice. Or no, you're Kara. <laughs> and now I'm going to ask Alice a question. Um, if we evaluate a patient via phone only, then provide services during that call that fall under 97535, but we can't bill for a low complexity eval. Is that allowed? And this is a hospital PT situation. Okay. So again, lots of layers. <laughs> so first of all, as a hospital PT, unless your hospital has gotten, has established the patient's home as an alternative site, then you can't do anything. You can't bill anything under telehealth. Now, assuming that that has been done, um, again, now we go to the difference between payer policy and our scope of practice and our practice acts. We can't treat without performing an evaluation. If we cannot perform the evaluation, then um, we can't initiate the care. If we're performing the evaluation, but not billing for it, um, we have to be consistent <laughs> under Medicare. We cannot perform a service, a, ser a covered service and not bill for it or bill for it in a different way. So I'm gonna have Kara check me on this, but I would say that question leads you down a rabbit hole that I would never go down. Um, <laughs> I, I would not bill for care without the capacity to bill for an evaluation. And I wouldn't bill the one and only single code that ended up on the list for audio only um, without billing for everything else that would constitute the appropriate care of that patient. Yeah, Alice, I'll, I'll, I agree and we can leave it at that. <laughs> All right, let me ask Steve a question. Um, what about PTs that want to use telehealth across state lines? What should they be looking for? How can they figure out if that's okay or not? Great, so a, a key way to look at it is to look at it if you're, if you're licensed in that state or if your state is, if, if your licensure is being honored in another state. So. For the second piece, either um, the state can be a member of the PT Compact Act. So we're seeing there are 20 member states and eight additional states that have uh, issued legislation but are not yet accepting compact privileges. And they're they're basically honor, honoring other states' licensures. Additionally, 
from COVID, as I kind of talked about before, they're the uh, temporary honoring of, of PTs licenses to practice in that state, like New Jersey care gave that example. So be sure to check both of those to, to see the, the full breadth of where you can practice. And I'll just mention, sorry, that so CMS has given flexibility in relation to practicing across state lines uh, for Medicare and Medicaid purposes. But as Steve talked about uh, just now and earlier, it all hinges on has the state also expanded the flexibility or given any sort of waiver. Um, so even though Medicare and Medicaid might have um, some flexibilities when it comes to licensure, it does nothing about waiving state law. So that's why state law, you always need to verify in addition to a payer's policy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think um, we at the Regulatory Affairs team and, and of course Alice and her team as well have gotten pretty good at researching this stuff because we are getting so many questions. So if you ever get stuck and you feel like you're not sure where to look to find the answers to these regulatory questions, advocacy at APTA.org. Um, we're always happy to answer your questions. We've only got three minutes left. So again, if you don't get your question answered today, shoot us an email. Um, how about, um, Alice, can you speak to continued advocacy and, and what needs to happen in that, in that space? Yeah, thanks, Kate. I just want to make the point, um, and Kara talked about this a little bit already. Um, our advocacy for telehealth, um, under Medicare predated COVID-19 continues through COVID-19. And um, and so it's important to continue your efforts around a permanent solution to this. So please go to advocacy um, or please go to the advocacy tab on APTA. And, and in particular, we're looking for um, providers to continue to uh, solicit support for the Connect for Healthcare Act. On the commercial payer side, um, we are already in discussions with commercial payers. Uh, most of them have sunset dates on these policies, and we are beginning that process. We will be posting a template letter on the APTA website um, in terms of uh, a letter that providers can use and also that you can share with your patients that they can submit to their insurer and to their employers to uh, support continued access to care via telehealth. Um, and I would just say this. Um, for many payers, and I think Medicare included, this is kind of a forced pilot for us. And we need to be responsible stewards of this. And so please, as Kate and Karen, Steve had said, make sure we are in compliance with all policies, state and federal. Um, make sure that you're documenting well. Make sure that your clinical decision making around the care you're providing and how you're providing is well and providing it is well supported in your documentation. Make sure you're following requirements for consent um, and, and let's do everything we can to show that we can do this responsibly and effectively and continue after this public health emergency. Yeah, that's a great point, um, Alice. There's a lot of uncertainty and fear right now, but there's also a lot of opportunity. Um, and I think I'd like to ask Kara, what do you see on the horizon? Do you think, um, you know, there's going to be any more regulatory or legislative changes? Like, what can we expect um, in the weeks and months to come? Sure. So first, I'll note uh, to Alice's point, uh, we 
did develop in collaboration with HPA Catalyst TechSig members a patient satisfaction survey for PTs to use when a telehealth visit has been provided either by the PT or PTA. And that can be found on the HPA Catalyst website. And we also link to it from the abta.org slash telehealth page. Um, so that's one more uh, mechanism you can use to collect data and use um, to both learn from, but also use in your own advocacy efforts uh, when uh, coordinating and communicating with uh, your commercial payers. In terms of what's on the horizon, I think that a common theme and discussion has been that this public health emergency has changed the face of telehealth and the future of telehealth quite drastically and very quickly. And um, I think that we will see um, in relation to telehealth and other policies, uh, we will see some permanent changes. Um, certainly, we, you know, with all of the flexibilities that CMS has granted, you know, the, the common theme has been, well, they've let it out of the box. They can't possibly put this all back into the box. And, you know, they've, they've got to at least make some of these flexibilities permanent. Um, and I think that if we can show that care uh, being delivered was just as high quality and just as effective, um, whether it was furnished via telehealth or whether it was um, done in relation to some of these other regulatory and policy flexibilities, then we need to be able to make that case and make that argument. As, and as to Kate's point and Alice's as well, that's why documentation and collection of data continues to be so important because we will need objective evidence to support that argument. So I think that you will see some more permanent statutory changes related to telehealth uh, be implemented in the coming months here, um, because certainly, like I said, um, this is here to stay. Uh, I think that we can expect to at least see legislation introduced and discussed um, in relation to expanding telehealth coverage for the other institutional settings, as we've discussed, um, in relation to home health agencies and skilled nursing facilities, especially. Um, and I think that, you know, it, you have to just keep in mind that a lot of what CMS is doing, they're doing um, with this waiver authority that they've been granted uh, by Congress. And that authority will not last forever, which is why Congress does need to act to make a lot of these changes permanent. But I think that what is within CMS's statutory to change, um, they, they may. And so I think that we can expect to at least see some of these flexibilities last um, in the future. But, you know, the, the work always continues and the advocacy and the need for advocacy never stops. And so that means sending comment letters on proposed rules, writing to your members of Congress, uh, visiting the APTA Take Action Center and having your friends and family send letters to their members of Congress on issues of priority that will help to benefit the physical therapy profession and the patients they serve. So just always remember um, that this is obviously a time for change. As others have said, this is you know, a really big pilot and um, the data and the utilization of care that's provided will be evaluated. And so we wanna make sure that the data accurately reflects what we want it to. Uh, but certainly, I think that a lot of these changes we will see made permanent. Um, but I think that it doesn't, we can't rely on that. There's still need for a lot of advocacy. And uh, we always are saying this in all of our webinars. So I'll just say it again, how critical your voice is to this discussion and the perspective you bring. 
um, because certainly how these policies impact you and the ability to deliver care and how it impacts your patient's ability to receive care is the feedback that these policymakers need and rely on when they're making a lot of these policy changes. But Kate or Steve or Alice, please feel free to add to that. It's perfect. Yeah, you covered it. <laughs> yeah, and just, and just stay tuned to APTA.org. Um, you know, follow the take action pages on our website, the advocacy pages, because we really do try to make it as easy as possible for you guys to advocate without having to spend too much time doing it so that you can remain treating your patients but still be a good um, representative of the profession to policymakers. So with that, we've actually gone over by about four minutes. Um, I'll say it one last time. If your question was not answered, please email us at advocacy at apta.org and stay tuned to apta.org for continuing updates. And thanks everybody for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Official guidance is changing rapidly as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to evolve. APTA set up a webpage to keep you informed at www.apta.org slash coronavirus. Please visit regularly and stay safe. We're all in this together.